every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Rachel Thornton, Vice President of Worldwide Marketing for Amazon Web Services, the comprehensive cloud computing platform that powers hundreds of thousands of businesses in 190 countries around the world and is on track to be a $51 billion business in 2021. Rachel is a true demand gen rock star, having been hailed in the press as captain of the B2B marketing dream team. She joined Amazon in 2013, serving as head of Amazon student and then vice president of global field and partner marketing for AWS before her promotion to her current role in January of 2020. Prior to Amazon, she served as vice president of marketing for the US, Canada, and Latin America at Salesforce. On this episode, Rachel details the demand gen strategy that powers the dominant player in the cloud computing space and shares the intricacies of the most important leadership principles that fuel successful marketing teams, from customer obsession to diving deep to thinking big and much more. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. And now, please enjoy this interview between Rachel Thornton, Vice President of Worldwide Marketing for Amazon Web Services, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today we are joined by special guest, Rachel, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Ian? I am doing great. It's a great day to talk about marketing, and I am super excited to chat about Amazon Web Services and, and your role there. So before we get into that, what was your first job in Demand Gen? Well, my very first job in Demand Gen, I was a field marketing specialist for Microsoft. And as part of that job, it was a lot of Demand Gen, as you can imagine, uh, a lot of campaigns and a lot of events for the sales region that I supported as a field marketing person. And so flash forward to today, tell us about your role at Amazon Web Services. So I am the uh, Vice President of Worldwide Marketing for Amazon Web Services. And as a little bit of background for your listeners, Amazon Web Services, AWS, is a most comprehensive and broadly adopted cloud platform. Uh, so we have the largest portfolio of cloud services, compute, storage, database, machine learning, IoT. We also have business solutions. We have a call center, contact center solution, analytics. So there you have it. And so obviously, you know, we're going to get super deep into all things AWS here today and all of that. But, you know, first and foremost, uh, we got to get into the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? This is our first segment where you can go and feel honest and trusted and share those deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. Taking a step back, what's your demand gen strategy? I think the best way to talk about our strategy is to give you a little context for um, some of the things that we think about at Amazon that kind of guide our decision making. Amazon has a set of leadership principles. So these are principles that we use every day to sort of think about either developing new ideas or determining kind of what the 
next program is that we should pursue. I think from a demand gen perspective, one of the most important leadership principles is customer obsession. So as I mentioned earlier, when we think about kind of our business and the services that we have, we're always thinking about our customers. We're always working backwards. We have customers that span the gamut from startups to large enterprises across all sorts of different industries. You know, lots of names you've probably heard of, whether it's BMW, MGM, Capital One, Goldman Sachs, Moderna. So we love working with customers. We love helping customers solve problems. So when we think about our demand gen strategy and any new program or new campaign that we want to put together, we start from the customer. We work backwards. I think that's probably what really helps us develop great demand gen and marketing programs. We think a lot as we're planning about what we want the business outcome to be or what we want the, the what the customer is trying to do from a business outcome perspective, what they're trying to achieve. And then knowing that, it really helps us write a great marketing plan or demand gen plan. So let's get into your customers. What does Amazon Web Services uh, do and who are your customers? I mean, you touched on it a little bit about all the different, you know, the suite of products that you all have, but who are the types of people that buy that? What do they look like? Where are they? And, and how do you reach those folks? Uh, we have a set of global customers. So we operate around the world. We have customers across all sorts of different segments. So whether you're talking about startups, whether you're talking about enterprises, whether you're talking about small, medium businesses, across every industry, I mentioned a few a few minutes ago. But really, we, because we're um, a global company, because we have teams sales teams, marketing teams all over the world, we really have a rich and diverse customer base. And we have, since we have sort of the broadest suite of services, we have customers using us for, you know, like I said, anything from compute to contact centers, to analytics, to storage, to databases. So taking that into consideration is really how we think about then depending on where our customers are, depending again, like I said, on the industry they're in or the business outcome they're looking for, is kind of how we start when we consider what is the right demand gen program to build or what's the right demand gen strategy to take based on what a customer needs and what we're trying to do in terms of customer acquisition. Yeah. And so obviously, you know, your sales engine being a huge part of that, having those conversations, is this seems like it would be something that's a very senior leader driven kind of sales cycle, which means you'd need a very senior leader driven demand gen and marketing strategy, I'd imagine, right? Well, it, it's interesting that you say that because I think actually when we um, when we think about demand gen, there's actually two different axes that we think about it on. We actually have a pretty robust self-service motion that we do. So we look at digital acquisition, we look at display ads, we look at our funnel, but when we think about the self-service motion, we're really thinking about customers, especially developers, who uh, can do a lot of research, education, and sort of sign up on their own to use our services, to try our services. So we have an entire team that's really focused on how do I drive that self-service motion? How do I help customers discover services they might be interested in? How do I help them sign up or adopt services? So we really think about that. From, it's like digital marketing and just heavily optimized. But we also look at it from sort of then to your point, thinking about it from a sales engagement perspective. So along that axis, we think, how can we work with our field sellers? How can we work with our SAs, our solution architects 
to really build marketing plans to engage maybe our enterprise customers, our big global customers. So those are sort of the two ways we think about demand gen. Again, how can we make sure that folks can find us on their own and get educated? And then how do we make sure in partnership with our sales teams, we're building a great demand gen strategy for some of our bigger customers. And that's kind of where I was getting at, that you have kind of this really interesting kind of dichotomy there where you have, you know, folks that are, like you said, the startups, the people, you know, the developers who are just going to be able to jump on that want to start building that, you know, need a solution that are, you know, probably the people who don't want to talk to sales very often, um, or if at all, uh, if possible, <laughs> um, that are going to kind of feed that thing. And then, you know, then they can grow with Amazon Web Services. And then you have kind of more of the enterprise approach. And it, you know, those marketing to those two populations can be really different. How do you kind of like, how do you align your teams to think about those different folks? Like I said, when we think about the customers, we spend a lot of our time, like we have teams that are experts on certain types of customer segments, certain types of industries, but also marketing, definitely different marketing motions. So I have a whole team devoted to the self-service motion. So digital marketing, acquisition marketing, database marketing, really looking at how everything from SEO, SEM, our web pages, our digital marketing funnel, our display ads, how do we make sure we're optimizing all of that? Like every day, looking at results, comparing results to what we, what we anticipated the result would be, how did we perform? And then making sure that that's optimized, but also knowing that the content that we develop, the creative we develop, all of that can be used across any customer segment. Uh, we do a lot of testing, a lot of A-B testing to make sure that whatever messaging we put out there, whether it's for our self-service audience or developer audience or for our enterprises, that it's consistent. And it's also performing um, really well so that we can, like I said, we can optimize. I mentioned our leadership principles a minute ago. Dive deep is a big one for us. So we're always trying to look at how did something perform? How effective was it? How efficient was it? But also, what was the incremental impact of it? So not just, hey, we um, we put a new program out there, we signed up new customers, but how much of that was incremental? Like, what would we have gotten if we hadn't done it? What did we get because we did? Do we like that result? So we have a whole team, a couple of teams actually devoted to, to the self-service motion. And then we, of course, have, when we work with our sales teams, we have a field marketing team, we have a partner marketing team. These are global teams. And again, you know, they work closely with their sales teams and their partner teams. So they're really based with them, whether it's in country or specific regions. So that those three teams can work together most efficiently to create the best, whether it's a sales plan, marketing plan, um, broader plan for the business in a certain geographic area. But those teams working together to make sure they're maximizing our investment and driving engagement with, uh, with our larger enterprise customers. And so is brand part of that? Do you have a, a brand gen motion for, uh, I know that's kind of a, uh, a new phrase, popular phrase. Uh, it is actually very much a part of that. We, um, we do a lot of testing around, like I said, I think not only brand, but a lot of our product marketing teams, we do a lot of testing around what's the right content, what's the right look and feel, what's the right experience uh, that a customer may have when they engage with us digitally. Before COVID, we also thought about a lot of this in person. What's the right experience when people engage with us in person? Uh, but we carried a lot of that over to our virtual events. But we are thinking about what's our brand and how does our brand translate across whether it's uh, a different audience segment, a different industry, 
different places all over the globe. So we spend a lot of time, like I said, looking at how are customers perceiving us, but then also how are they engaging with us and what can we learn from that engagement, how effective it is, and then, you know, how do we change? How do we course correct? If there are things that we notice that didn't respond as well as we thought, how do we how do we do a better job? But then when we see that we've gotten some good engagement with a particular program, how do we quickly scale it? Yeah, you know, and I know in your, in your background, uh, you've even won awards for uh, for B two B marketing uh, as it relates specifically to events. So I'd imagine that that, that it was a it was a big blow to uh, to you with all of the events slowed down. That you know one of one of the things that that you've you know pioneered in in some ways in B two B that you know was an avenue that was shut off. It was um, it was quite interesting if I think about you know sort of. Early last year, as you know, we were all beginning to understand the impact of COVID. Uh, I was actually really, really impressed with the team how quickly they pivoted and thought, "Okay, how do we take a lot of what we've done in person and do it virtually?" We had been doing a series of uh, virtual events for a lot of our developer audience, and so we had some learnings on, you know, what makes a good virtual event, what are customers like about it. So we were able to take a lot of those learnings and pivot, but it was just a testament to the team and all their hard work that, you know, we were able to take like our, our we have a summit program, we call it AWS Summit. Uh, we pivoted that to virtual. And then at the end of last year, we did our big uh, annual conference reInvent. We did that virtually as well. And that was, we did that for three weeks, which is quite the undertaking. Normally it's just sort of a week in Vegas, but we decided that we had a lot of content and a lot of the feedback we gotten from customers was they want a chance to really get hands on with the content, to learn, to hear from the engineers and product marketers across uh, all of our services. So we ended up going for three weeks and we were pretty happy with the results. I, I, I think we were pleased that we got the engagement we got. We had about 300,000 people join us for the three weeks. So we were really happy with that, but it has been, we've learned a ton, I will say about it. Doing, that, doing events virtually and really translating a lot of that in-person experience to virtual. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you can open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. You know, a key part for any marketer is around measurement. Uh, one of the hardest things to do as a marketer, especially as you're looking at different, you know, brand campaigns and field campaigns, and now these new digital events, like you mentioned, not having a, a salesperson on the ground to, uh, you know, walk by and pat you on the back and go, hey, this is great uh, to get some of that feedback from sales. But how do you measure success? So again, two things. We look at what was the what was the outcome we were hoping for on the campaign? What was the impact? And what was the incrementality? We love to dive deep across marketing, across the campaigns that we do. I think the best way to figure out how you're doing from a measurement perspective is go into the campaign or the demand gen program with a clear set of objectives and outputs that you're looking to get. Um, if you don't have that clarity, I think it's a little harder to come back and say, well, how do we think we did? So the outset, when we're developing campaigns, we always set up, again, what do we want the, the impact of this to be? How do we want to define that? And then how do we want to measure it? Marketing has a, a BI team, a business intelligence team, so we spend a lot of time with that team figuring out how we 
craft the campaigns and craft also our experiments. So we will do, in some cases, upfront experiments to determine uh, whether it's A-B testing or looking at lift, looking at conversion rate. So once we have the metrics we want dialed in, then we do teams, you will usually do a weekly business review. Uh, at my level, I do a weekly business review across all of my teams. And we look at, you know, what was the outcome? What did we get? What was things like, so take leads for a minute or, you know, acquisition. How did we do on things like conversion rate? And what did we expect it to be versus what it was? So I think that's always important. Sometimes you'll get numbers, but if you don't have a context for, oh, hey, we saw 25% growth. Well, were you expecting 20, in which case, great. Or were you expecting 30, in which case, okay, tell me, tell me why not 30. Um, or tell me why 25 as opposed to 30. So we spend a lot of time sort of setting up front what the metrics are. And then we're really good as a team, I think, about going in and looking at them, inspecting them. We have good mechanisms, like I said, for inspection. So whether it's weekly, monthly, or quarterly, always looking at how we did, how that performed in the context of what we thought would happen. And then again, if we like what we see, how do we scale it quickly? We have a pretty good communication mechanism for sharing with the sales team. So each kind of field leader, field marketing leader will spend time with their sales teams and looking at, hey, if there was a lead gen campaign or a demand gen campaign we did in a specific region or country, how did it perform? And then how did sales, what was their feedback as well? Especially for leads, we look again at things like sales qualified leads and pipeline attached. So that gives us an indication of not just quantity, how many we did, but quality. How did sales, how did, how was sales able to capitalize on what we gave them? You know, one of the things that obviously, you, you, you know, you've talked about, which is key is the AWS culture, how you think about things, how you go about, you know, doing things is really important. And, you know, really core to your marketing, it seems like, like how, do, how does kind of that culture, the AWS culture kind of shape how you measure success and define success? I definitely think, as I you know, I mentioned a couple of times, the leadership principles that Amazon has are just, is something that the team, teams across Amazon live and breathe every day. And it just, whether it's the customer obsession and working backwards from the customer or diving deep into the metrics to really understand what's happening, why is it happening? I think a lot of, especially on the marketing side, uh, another big leadership principle we have is think big. And I think that gives teams the freedom to really imagine and get creative with new ideas, which I always think is so critically important on the marketing side. I think marketing is sort of the, the beautiful marriage of not only creativity, but doing data, you know, understanding data, doing a lot of data analysis, because you want to make sure whatever idea, whatever big idea you come up with, how do you test it? How do you refine it? And then how do you understand its impact so that if you really love it, you can replicate it? So, so much of that, uh, I think, is just core to Amazon's culture. And it really comes out in how we, you know, whether we think about whether it's product design, development, or marketing program development. You know, you all even even say that, you know, to be skeptical when when metrics and anecdotes differ. I feel like so much of, especially like B2B uh, marketing, you kind of live in that world where metrics and anecdotes are are kind of like two more important or more equal footing than you would say if you were, you know, something that was more of like a self-serve model. For example, you know, like if a salesperson comes and brings you something and is like, 
hey, no, that they're not buying because of, you know, X, Y, or Z. And you keep hearing that over and over and over again. And the metrics don't prove that like that, you know, that would be something that that you might have to listen to a little bit more if you're if you're in an enterprise sales process because you know your your CRO or your head of sales is something that you know is it perhaps a bigger stakeholder than it than it would be for other companies I know this is something that's super challenging when they're going to those folks and saying like hey I know you keep saying that but like that's not what the metrics say so I you know I'm curious like how do you how do you kind of like toe that line or, or, or make sure that you have a strong relationship and develop a strong relationship with sales? I've worked with sales, gosh, I would say almost my, my entire career, actually. So, you know, if we, my, my first demand gen job was field marketing specialist supporting sales. I've, I've always worked with sales and I actually love working with sales um, because sales teams are communicative. They will tell you exactly what they think. They're vocal, which uh I love because you can get amazing data from that. So if we have, and we actually just recently had this come up, we were, we were working with our sales team. And when we looked at the data, it looked like a particular program was performing pretty well. And we sat down with the team and said, this is what the data said. So I should say that Amazon, every meeting starts with doc reading. So it's very much a doc culture. So a document culture, we, Whenever we have a meeting, people come to the meeting with a with a six page document that kind of talks about here's what we're going to discuss. Here are the issues. Here are the questions. And then the first like 20, 25 minutes of every meeting is you read. And then the rest of the meetings, usually about an hour is, is spent in discussion. So that's an amazing process for helping people get grounded on the same information. So when we um, when we sat down with the sales team and we read through the doc that talked about the program, we said, like, here's here's why we think it's working, but here's the other feedback we've gotten from the teams when we've reached out to customers. Here's some of the anecdotal feedback we've gotten there. And it was a really great meeting because it turns out that some of the things the sales teams were concerned about, we had looked at, but now we realized, oh, we needed sort of part two of the program to really capitalize on, uh, like, in this specific instance, Hey, the customer's been interested in this in the service. We have some open opportunities, but then how do we progress the opportunities a little faster? Which is sort of what the feedback from sales was was coming to us. Was really we've had some great opportunities created from this program, but now we need some help in sort of progressing them through the the funnel, if you will. So, like opportunities open. Now, how do I get it through the next several stages so that we can close it? And that's when we realized, oh, we're both sort of seeing the same thing. We, we in marketing, were seeing success in the front end with opportunity creation. And now it was like, what's the next, like I said, phase of that program to progress the opportunities farther down the funnel? So it, it turned out that at the end of the meeting, we realized, hey, we need a new kind of program for pipeline acceleration. And then our next step is, okay, great. What's the program we're going to build? So uh, I actually really think we have a good relationship with our sales teams. But like I said, it's grounded in not only what does the data show, but when people do have good anecdotal info, how do we get it down in a doc? And then how do we review it so we can figure out what the next set of actions are we need to take? Yeah, I love that story. You know, it's so tough because I think part of the thing with anecdotal information is that, you know, oftentimes you can get 
behavior, like the, the best salespeople are like investigators, right? They're trying to figure out through, you know, asking the right questions and doing those things and, you know, building relationships, you know, and all that stuff, why things are happening the way they are. But if you can't feed that information back in, if that thing lives in a silo, or if that can't, you know, make its way back into, you know, marketing copy or things like that, it's not as good, right? And that's part of the thing that that speed of communication, I love, you know, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the way that you all do those readings to be able to get everybody on the same page. When you came into the organization, was that something that you had to get used to that was like new to you? Or was it like immediately once you came in, you're like, wow, this is great. <laughs> I can't believe I ever did anything, you know, previous to this. I can't believe, you know, we, uh, we operated meetings like this uh, any other way. Uh, I think it's both, actually. I started at Amazon a little over seven years ago. And I, I think it's true for most people who come into the organization. You sort of you hear about the, the doc writing culture and you're like, hi, I wonder what that's going to be like. And uh, sure enough, your first meetings are you write up your document, you sit down, everyone gets a copy, they read it. And it's a little like, I wonder how this is going to go. I also think that, you know, it's a shift because, in, in you know, in your daily life, it's like you don't necessarily write six-page documents. I was an English major in college, so I actually kind of liked writing. And so it was kind of fun. And it still is fun now, I should say. But it was it was like as I was writing my first set of documents when I first started, it was like, well, yeah, it's like an English assignment. So so it was it was fun to start to learn that that aspect of the culture. I also think it's an amazing equalizer in a lot of ways because anyone can, anyone across the organization can come up with an idea and put it down, write a doc, and then get in a room. And because you're really the, you know, the culture is such that people are asking about the doc, like, or the idea, like, oh, you have this idea, you know, I noticed you talked about it like this, I see your data, your data makes sense, or I have a question about your data. It really does mean that you can have a conversation about kind of the idea or the new program or the new campaign. And then if um, if people like it, you move forward. There's lots of disagreements sometimes in the meeting. There's lots of questions asked, and that's not a bad thing. But it really is great because then new ideas can come from anywhere, and it gives people a chance to really present their ideas and their thinking behind it. And um, it's how I really feel like even across marketing – I encourage teams to always, always, always be like coming up with new ideas, writing docs and reviewing them. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny that you say that because, and maybe this is a good opportunity to get to our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh. Here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. Which is where we talk about healthy tension. Uh, whether that's with your board, your sales team, competitors, or anyone else. It's funny you say that because I think that one of the things that it's so good at doing, and other people have written this, I'm not first to Plymouth Rock here, but um, you know, it democratizes the kind of you know, how good people are at, at the pitch for marketing campaigns. And I always kind of thought that was, it was kind of a problem um, as somebody who loves to pitch uh, a good marketing campaign. The problem is you know, how good you can pitch a marketing campaign is is very irrelevant, right? That's not what should get the dollars. The best campaign should get the dollars. So, you know, kind of having having it all on uh, 
the paper like that and allowing everybody to read through it and to get on the same page you know, together rather than kind of like getting wrapped up in the excitement of everything, which is kind of what a pitch is. It's a little bit more of that gives it a, a little bit more democratization there and allows for for that, you know, that healthy tension to be able to like have the discussion about what is the right way forward, not just like what feels the best in that moment, you know? Yes, that's exactly it. And we, um, we do a lot of pilots or a lot of experiments. So if someone were to come up with a new idea, let's say for a demanding campaign, uh, as part of the doc, it would be, here's my, here's my target audience. Here's what I would, you know, here's the outlines of the campaign. Here's how I would measure it. And then we will actually talk about, well, could we do a small experiment enough to get to, you know, if, if I think about, so let's say it's a digital campaign to a self-service audience. What's the size of the small experiment we could do to help us get some statistically significant information on whether or not we think the campaign would be a success uh, based on the metrics in the doc? And then we do it so that we can say, all right, we, we tested it. We tested it in this audience. We tested this way. We expected these results and we got them. Great. Now we can scale it. So it really, it's a nice blend of how do you, how can you think big, think creatively, but then how can you take an idea and test it? I test a lot, like we're all about the quick tests. Like how do we get some information to help us inform, hey, we really like that, let's scale it out. Or, hmm, and, and this does happen where you're like, hey, that actually didn't perform as well as I initially thought. Okay, so maybe we try something different or maybe there's an obvious tweak we can make to it. But we try to hit the right balance between moving fast, you know, kind of move fast, learn fast, and then when you've hit on something that really works, how do you scale it? But give people a chance to really feel like I had a great idea. I came up with a way to test it. I developed the metrics that we really want to test. And then talk about those things, get the discussion out there, and then quickly see, uh, see how you can get it into market, test it, learn from it, and keep going. And so, so do you create those in kind of like in a silo? Is it just like just you and the computer or is it like, you know, you would walk around and get a bunch of like info and feedback from people ahead of time and then put it in there? Oh, uh, definitely. It helps to work, you know, get feedback from people, talk to people, look at what other folks have done, uh, because that'll help you gather all the right sort of data for the document. And then it's also fine to say, hey, this is a brand new idea. We've never tried this before. We think based on what we're proposing, it's similar to these other things we've tried. But there is a, you know, there's a big question mark as to whether it will perform in a similar way. Uh, so here's, like I said, here's the test we're going to do. But I think the really good docs are when folks work together to think through, this is my idea. What do you think about it? Work with teams. Like I said, we have teams that help people develop experiments. Uh, develop pilots. So talk to those teams and figure out what it really you could put together so you can test the efficacy, the effectiveness of what you want that campaign to, what you want the results to look like. What's the thing that that you see in those docs that's the uh, that's often like the weakest version of that? Is it just someone who's not really prepared enough or hasn't thought about you know an, enough of you know the measurement tools or what's the what's the weak part of that? Uh, I think it's a sort of a combination of prepping. Again, I think when you get a chance, you know, when you get, you have normally you got six pages, but it does give you a really good chance in that, in that 
size, you know, in that page count, I should say, to really dive deep. And I think when people don't take advantage of that opportunity uh, to dive deep, to look at other programs or to think about metrics, the types of metrics they would want to use, or to think about, you know, say we were talking about maybe a messaging exercise, what's the best messaging? What are some of the tests you've seen with other messages? Um, I think when I've seen it not go right is when people maybe don't take advantage of the, like I said, the space they have to really go deep on the topic they want to present. You want to be able to answer questions in the room. You want to be able to think about the types of questions you get, maybe anticipate some of those questions uh, so you can kind of embed the answers in the content you're presenting, as opposed to not really thinking through like that. And then, you know, you get in the room and people start asking questions. You're like, I didn't anticipate that. I think some questions, you know, you may get there like, hey, I didn't really think about that. But um, you should really try to think through what could people ask me about this and have I have I pulled together the right information to answer the questions? Yeah, well, and the final piece, you know, about committing wholly, I think is something so, so fascinating to me because how many times in our careers do we see the marketing campaign that a bunch of people clearly are not committed to, right? Where you're like, you know, this is something that the CMO wants to run or maybe it's, you know, someone else on the team and people aren't committed to it. And it's just like, you know, if the sales team isn't committed to it, if the marketing team or, you know, if the brand team or whatever it is, it's just not going to work as well. And I just like, it's it's cool to see that type of ethos because you got to give, you know, if you think, if you spend all this work to do it, to set it up, to prepare it, uh, you know, people need to commit. Yes. we. It's funny because we, um, we have a whole leadership principle. <laughs> it's called disagree and commit. And it really is about when you talk about a new program, whether it's it could be a new service, a new product, a new marketing idea, campaign, demand gen strategy. But it's critical to ask the questions and have the discussion. And that in that meeting, it can be a lot of questions. It can be really uh, intense. There can be a lot of disagreement. Disagreement is encouraged. But at the end of the meeting, after all the questions are out and all the concerns and all the disagreements, we make a decision. And if the decision is, we like this program, everyone sitting around the table likes the program, so we're going to go forward, then everybody commits to it. It can't be later though, well, I didn't really like it. Well, see, in the time that we met, you had a chance to ask the questions and to really get clear on the results and get clear on the uh the strategy and the execution plan. So, and, and I think people know that, like that's a, you know, it's, it, that's a very much an Amazonian thing. So I think people in the meeting understand this is my chance to really kind of dive deep and go and ask a lot of questions and really get my questions answered. Because if we like this idea, then we'll go forward with it and then we'll all commit to making it work. Whether it's marketing or sales, the service teams, everyone will be committed to making the, the program work that we've decided on moving forward with. So the meetings can be really intense, but it's good. It's a good thing because it gives everybody a chance to sort of be heard and to share their questions, their concerns. But then in the end, we decide, okay, let's go. And then we go. Let's get to our final segment. Quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Just like how quickly you can talk to somebody on your website with conversational marketing with qualified.com, quick and easy questions, just like how quick and easy qualified.com is to use. 
Rachel, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what are you streaming these days? Oh, ha. Um, so I'm kind of a science fiction junkie, and I'm catching up on The Expanse. I'm, I think I'm like a season behind, so I've been, I've been watching a lot of The Expanse. Um, I'm also sort of a, a murder mystery buff, so I've been watching something called Dublin Murders, which is about uh, an Irish inspector. Booker podcast that you checked out recently? Oh, I'm actually reading, um, I just started reading a book called Flash Boys. It actually goes back a couple of years, but I haven't had a chance to read it. It's Michael Lewis. It's on high-frequency trading. Hobby that you uh, are, are focused on for 2021? More baking. I feel like I started baking. I, I feel like everybody started baking, but I started baking during the pandemic, and I just, I've sort of expanded my repertoire. You know, started with cookies. I've, I've moved up to things like bread, sourdough bread. <laughs> So lots of baking. Best advice for a first-time CMO trying to figure out some demand gen strategy? Uh, ask a lot of questions. Sometimes I think people get, you know, they maybe don't want to ask questions. They're afraid like, oh, I should know this. I always, I'm a big believer, ask the questions. Because there's probably other people sitting there thinking, huh, the same question you are. Ask questions. Ask a lot of questions. Really dive deep. Understand what... Um, what you think or what people think the outcome would be. I just think it helps you be just so much more effective and efficient. Any good, uh, any good dream force or, uh, Craig Swenzard stories from back in the day. <laughs> I was actually going to ask you guys, like how often you work with Craig. So I loved working with Craig every week, every week, Mondays. <laughs> uh, I work with Craig for several years at Salesforce. Uh, I had a lot of fun. He was a great CMO. Rachel, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for joining. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Obviously, everybody should check out Amazon Web Services if you haven't. And also, by the way, I love the uh, NFL Next Gen stats that AWS powers. It's so, so, so fun. It is such a great campaign. I love it. It's just the best. Thank you. I, I know we love it too. That was another example, by the way, if it was uh, the marketing team, there's a small team that said, hey, what if we did this? And we did, and partnering with our AIML service team, we uh, we developed those. So thank you. I'm glad that you like them. We like them too. Yeah, and Scott Hansen on the Red Zone channel. It's just great. It's uh, it's a killer, killer, uh, killer campaign. Rachel, thanks so much. Really appreciate you coming coming on the show. Thank you, guys. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.